0: Well, hello there. Welcome back to another Headlines episode. On these Headlines episodes, again, we're covering a bunch of news stories in rapid-fire format. On today's show, we have five news stories that are related to the environment and conscious consumption. Let's jump right into it, because again, today we have five stories. We're going to start in my backyard. This is for all my New Englanders who already know what's going on here, but for the rest of us who may not be so aware... There has been some serious floods in New England and specifically in Vermont. Vermont's floods are exposing a limit to our collective American ability to adapt to climate change. Heavy rainfall in Vermont on Sunday into Monday caused significant destruction miles away from any river. And it is evidence of a dangerous climate threat that sometimes goes... Without notice, that is catastrophic flooding. Flash floods that happens without any warning. Now, rising temperatures from global warming make the potential of flooding worse because it allows the air to hold more moisture, which leads to more intense and sudden rainfall. Now, the federal government is funding better storm drains and pumps and building levees and elevating flood roads, and they're using federal flood maps as a guide to determine where to build all this infrastructure. They're supposed to be updated regularly. These flood maps are supposed to be updated regularly, but they often fail to capture the full risk. In Vermont, and I should say, I should be transparent, I own property in Vermont, roads are impassable, completely impassable. Roads are destroyed throughout the state. And so Vermont is not a Coastal state. It touches no coast. And so the problem is that the federal government tends to focus its resilience efforts on the obvious areas, these coasts or river cities. Now, I should say here too, in efforts of being comprehensive, that yes, there was flooding in my backyard of Vermont, but there were also deadly floods last week in India, Japan, China, and Turkey. Landslides and flash floods killed 15 people in India last week. Schools in New Delhi were forced to close because of flash flooding. In Japan, torrential rain pounded the southwest, which caused floods and mudslides that left two people dead and six others missing. And again, atmospheric scientists say that storms are forming in a warmer atmosphere, which makes extreme rainfall our new reality. And while we can't say that climate change is causing rain, we can say with a fair degree of confidence that the warmer and wetter atmosphere is making extreme rainfall occur more often. Next up, we're moving to advances in food packaging. So some good news. We just talked about floods in my backyard. I'm feeling bummed out. Let's flip the script. Let's talk about some good news. Scientists at the Chinese University of Hong Kong have created an edible, transparent, and biodegradable material that could potentially be used for food packaging as a plastic alternative. These scientists used bacterial cellulose, which if you're not a scientist, I'm not a scientist, I don't know what that is. Bacterial cellulose is an organic compound that's derived from certain types of bacteria, and that's what was used to develop this product. Now, the good news is that unlike the cellulose that's found in the cell walls of plants, Bacterial cellulose can be produced through microbial fermentation. So that means that there's no need to harvest trees or crops to grow stuff just to cut it down to make food packaging. Really good news. Bacterial cellulose is relatively sustainable, easily available, non-toxic, and non-polluting. Now, up until now, Widespread adoption of bacterial cellulose in food packaging was limited because it was sensitive to moisture in the air, which means that it was not as durable as plastic. But these scientists incorporated certain soy proteins and coated the bacterial cellulose with an oil-resistant composite. So these researchers then were able to make a transparent and edible and durable composite packaging. The study found that this plastic alternative can be completely degraded within one to two months. And unlike other bio-derived plastics, this bacterial cellulose composite does not require specific industrial composting conditions to degrade. So we all know those types of products, right? You get something in compostable packaging and you shout from the rooftops, woohoo, I can put this in my backyard bin. But then when you read the fine print on the back, it says it has to be industrial composted. And so you can't put it in your backyard bin and then your shoulders slump a bit. Not the case with bacterial cellulose composites. So what are the next steps? Researchers hope to enhance the versatility of bacterial cellulose composite so that they can be used in a wide range of uses, applications, products. And while this product is not currently ready for production, it is a very promising next step in developing that alternative to single-use plastic packaging. Three cheers for bacterial cellulose. Our next story is another feel-good story, and it is a Story about minimalism essentially on the large scale. It's also a story about different sides of the political aisle coming together and agreeing on something. A new bill has been introduced in Congress to fund $100 million for tiny home villages for homeless veterans. The Havens Act, which is what it's called, would facilitate the development of LEED certified tiny homes for homeless veterans. So LEED certified essentially in the architecture world means environmentally conscious. If the Havens Act passes, it would allocate $20 million a year for five years for the development of five tiny home villages around the country. The bill is sponsored by both Democrats and Republicans. It was introduced in May. It must make its way through the House of Representatives. Now a little bit more on the proposed homes. They would range in size anywhere from 240 square feet to 340 square feet. These tiny home communities would also include social services like job training, financial training, and counseling for the residents. And of course, if it passes, it would mean significant improvements in the lives of veterans who also happen to be homeless. It would give them homes. Now, it is too soon to tell the impact of this bill, or if it will become law. But I think it's pretty darn cool that lawmakers are considering it because it's an indication that the construction of tiny homes are increasingly being seen on a broad scale as a potential solution to the housing crisis. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about two completely unrelated, but very interesting stories. We're talking about Wastewater at Fukushima, and we're talking about the Devil's Hole Pupfish. Oh my goodness. Buckle up. I'll see you in a moment after a quick sponsor break. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven Collection And we are back. Before the break, we talked about catastrophic flooding in Vermont and across the world. We discussed bacterial cellulose as a potential swap, let's say, to single-use packaging. We also discussed one way in which Democrats and Republicans are coming together in the name of minimalism to solve the housing crisis. And now we are on to Japan. We're discussing... Fukushima and wastewater. Now, before we do that, let's just all get on the same page. What is Fukushima? You've probably heard of it before. What happened there? Well, in 2011, a massive earthquake sparked a tsunami, and the tsunami destroyed the nuclear power plant's cooling systems, which caused three reactors to melt and release large amounts of radiation. So that was 12 years ago. Since then, new water has been pumped in to cool fuel debris in the reactors, but at the same time, ground and rainwater have leaked in, which has created more radioactive wastewater that now needs to be stored and treated. What are we going to do with all this wastewater? Well, Tokyo Electric Power Company operates the facility and has been storing the treated water in hundreds of tanks that now cover most of the plant and are almost full Japanese officials say that the tanks must be removed to make room to build facilities for the plant's decommissioning and to minimize the threat of leaks in case of another disaster. The tanks are expected to reach their capacity of 1.37 million tons in early 2024. So these tanks are sitting there with potentially harmful wastewater. What do we do with them? Well, the International Atomic Energy Agency approved Japanese plans to release this treated but radioactive wastewater into the ocean. This agency stated that the Japanese's process to release this wastewater would meet international safety standards and pose, quote, negligible environmental and health impacts. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, what are the risks? Radioactive wastewater contains some dangerous elements, but the majority of these elements can be removed from the water. The real issue is a hydrogen isotope, which cannot be taken out or taken away because there is currently no technology available to do so. Japan's government does say that they will release the contaminated water slowly, and they will... Slowly over decades, and they will dilute it. But diluting the wastewater might not be enough to reduce its impact on marine life. This hydrogen isotope can pass through various levels of the food chain, and of course, be bioaccumulated up the food chain. And opponents also argue that the oceans are already under an awful lot of stress, aren't they? There's climate change, there's ocean acidification, there's overfishing, there's pollution. So releasing this wastewater certainly won't help the situation in our oceans. Now, you might also be wondering, well, does this happen in other areas? The answer is yes. A spokesperson from the U.S.'s Nuclear Regulatory Commission did confirm that virtually all nuclear plants in the United States discharge water containing low levels of radioactivity into waterways where they're located. And a scientist from the University of Hawaii stated that other people's bad behavior was not an excuse to continue releasing wastewater into the ocean. We're on to our final story today about the Devil's Hole pupfish. What on earth is the Devil's Hole pupfish? It's a small, iridescent bluefish that swims in the hot waters of Death Valley National Park. It got trapped there thousands of years ago. This deep little cavern, the fish cannot escape. It is the fish's only home. It's surrounded by man-made chain-link fence, razor wire, and other security measures that are designed to protect this incredibly rare and incredibly endangered species. In 2013, just to give you an idea of how rare and endangered this species of fish is, in 2013, the population of the devil's hole pupfish hit a low of only 35 fish. Now, over the last couple of years, the devil's hole pupfish has made a comeback In 2022, there were 175 observable fish. In 2023, the count was the same, which is actually good news. It means that the population has been holding steady. As of right now, in this moment in time, this is the best that the population has been doing in 20 years. Now, these devil hole pupfish, they are really cute. I highly suggest you look them up on the internet so you can check them out. They look like something that would be in your own fish tank. They're only about an inch long. They're blue. They have no natural predators. And because they have no fear, they will curiously swim up to inspect divers and anything else that enters their isolated little world. I should say here too that how amazing is it that against all odds, they continue to survive. The water in this pool in Death Valley National Park is 93 degrees Fahrenheit year round. So that's our headlines today. Have a great weekend. I'm logging off for the weekend. I'll see you on Tuesday for our regularly scheduled interview where we are discussing travel. And we're talking about travel in a new way to the show You're not going to want to miss it. It's a highly contemplative conversation. I will see you then and take care.